You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. Continue to preach my word. It's a call on our lives. We cannot help but to speak of the things we've seen and heard. I've seen too much of my life. My life has changed too drastically for me to preach something else. And it was only the gospel of Jesus Christ that changed my life. It was only the blood of Jesus Christ that rescued me from sin. It was only his love that brought me into a deeper relationship with him. And it was only by his blood that I'm cleansed and found not guilty. And that's the gospel. We need to preach that. We need to be true what God has called us. We need to be true. Have you ever experienced something that completely changed your life? In today's message, Pastor Dave talks about how the gospel completely changes people's lives. It brings us hope, joy, and peace, and has given us a purpose and direction that we never had before. The gospel has given us access to a new and abundant life. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 4 as he begins his message, The Church That Prays Together. Acts 4, 23 to 31. I'll read aloud if you want to read along silently, please. And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God, who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things. The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Heard an interesting story on a Christian radio station this week as I was driving out about. It's about a home church in China. It seems that the secret police found out about this church and they crashed through the door during a Bible study. They confiscated all the Bibles. They confiscated all the Christian literature and they arrested everyone in attendance. Everybody who was there was arrested. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that happening right now? Somebody breaking in here with guns and arming us and arresting us all? Most of the people were released very quickly, except for the pastor and the person whose home it was. They were detained. However... After several days in jail, they both were released. Interesting thing about this that got my attention, and as I was driving along, they said this, that upon their release, the brothers were warned, actually threatened, not to hold services or to speak in the name of Jesus again. I almost did a double take. I went, wait a minute. Isn't that exactly where we are in the book of Acts? Didn't we just read that last week? 
And I had to go back and I had to look. And sure enough, we did. We read that last week. It says in verse 21 of chapter 4, so when they had further threatened him, they let them go, finding no way to punishing them because of the people since they all glorified God for what had been done. And I looked at that. I said, this is amazing. And then I thought to myself, wait a minute. There's a scripture about this. And I started digging in Ecclesiastes 1 verse 9. Ecclesiastes 1 verse 9, the great Solomon writes this with all his wisdom. He said, that which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which it may be said, see, this is new? It has already been in ancient times before us. It's amazing to me that this type of activity, breaking into a church and arresting everybody, is still occurring after 2,000 years after Christ's death. 2,000 years after his resurrection, as the word of God goes forth with boldness, people are still being persecuted all over the world. And we live in a country where we are not persecuted yet. thought I'd throw that one in there. But we live in a country where we can come here and we can worship God without fear. Where there's people all over the world today worshiping our Savior, worshiping our God, going to churches where they are right now in fear for their lives. There's nothing new under the sun. It's still happening. When is the world going to realize that the Word of God cannot be silenced? That the Word of God must go forth? That you cannot keep the Word of God from going forth? Remember Peter's words from last week in verse 20. We cannot but speak the things of which we've seen or heard. When the love of Christ burns so intently in your heart, you have to share what you know to be the truth. You have to share it. It wants to burst out of you. You can't contain it. It wants to just burst forth. When Christ comes into your life, you cannot but speak of his name and speak of his glory because we are called to be witnesses of him which is what the entire book of Acts is based on. Chapter 1, verse 8, we are called to be witnesses of him in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the outermost portions of the world. We are called to be witnesses, and this calling is still exists in our hearts today. We are still called to be witnesses. Now, it's going to be interesting to see if we could follow these men, this pastor and this person whose home it was, to see if they comply with the threats or continue to preach the word of God. It'll be very interesting to see what the next step will be, just like we follow the apostles now in their situation. Will they succumb to the authorities or will they continue to stay true to God and what he has called them to accomplish? My guess is they'll do the latter. They will continue to preach the word of God because it's burning within them. Paul said, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Woe to me if I don't preach that gospel. I feel that way sometimes. When I struggle with a message and I look at it and go, that's kind of harsh, and the Lord goes, woe to you if you don't teach the gospel of Jesus Christ, because you know what? Sometimes the bad news has to precede the good news, and so I'm called to be a pastor. I've called to preach this gospel, and I got to stand up for righteousness and say, this is true, this is not. As my pastor, Frank, used to say, right is right and wrong ain't. We have to stand up for righteousness. We have to stand up for God's word. Will these guys? Peter said, we cannot but speak these things. You know, when I was thinking about all this, and I was trying to recall some scriptural, there is some scriptural evidence here, when the Apostle Paul was writing his young son in the faith, Timothy. In 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 to 5, this was Paul's admonition to Timothy. This is what he said to Timothy. Listen to the words here. He said, I charge you, therefore, before God... And the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. 
Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, he says. Endure afflictions, do the work of evangelists, fulfill your ministry. This is what Paul was saying to Timothy, who was a pastor at that time. He was pastor of the church of Ephesus. And he was showing him, Timothy, you may be discouraged now, pal, but you need to fulfill your ministry. Continue to teach the word of God. They will have itching ears. They'll go other places to hear a nice fluffy gospel, I call it. Not the gospel, it's a fluff. They'll go someplace and hear a great motivational speech and they won't be talking about sin. They won't be talking about hell. They'll be talking about something other than that, a wonderful, warm, warm, fluffy Jesus Christ that is not the true gospel. But you, Timothy, preach my word. Continue to preach my word. It's a call in our lives. We cannot help but to speak of the things we've seen and heard. I've seen too much in my life. My life has changed too drastically for me to preach something else. And it was only the gospel of Jesus Christ that changed my life. It was only the blood of Jesus Christ that rescued me from sin. It was only his love that brought me into a deeper relationship with him. And it was only by his blood that I'm cleansed and found not guilty. And that's the gospel. We need to preach that. We need to be true what God has called us. We need to be true. This decision that's facing this pastor in China is the same decision now facing Peter and John and the rest of the disciples Right now in the book of Acts, in chapter 4, it's the exact same decision. Did they retreat into the respective homes and huddle there, licking their wounds? Oh, we're scared. Did they move to another town or city and say, you know, we better get out of here. These guys are mean. We've got to go someplace else where they don't know us. What would you do if it happened to you? What would you do if they broke down that door right now and they said, you can't do this anymore. In fact, we're arresting all of you and we tell you never teach in this name again. What would we do? Scripture tells us of the next move that the apostles did, the disciples, they went straight to their companions. They didn't go back to their houses. They went to hang out with the brethren. Look at what it says in Acts 4.23, our first verse today. And being let go, they went into their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Here these men are under enormous pressure from these threats. You have to remember that the Sanhedrin, where it was the law in Jewish realm, they were the law. They had the power to hurt you. They had that power. And when they're threatening them not to go, this was a severe threat. There was a lot of pressure here. But instead of going to their respective houses, instead of going someplace safe, they went to church. They went back to church. They sought the company of the fellow saints. They went to the place where they would be strengthened. They went to the place where they could speak to other believers how important is Christian fellowship? How important is fellowship with other believers? Solomon knew how important it was. Solomon, the writer of Proverbs, says in Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. When you hang out with strong Christians, you'll be strengthened. If you hang out with people who love the Lord, your love for the Lord will grow and it will flourish. If you hang out with non-believers, guess what? That light we talked about last week, the light that's burning with inside of you, starts to flicker, starts to dim, because you're getting their instructions. You're getting their vibes, not the vibes of the brethren who believe in Christ and who trust in Christ. 
Strangely enough, when we feel burdened, when we feel pressured from our daily routine, when we're fed up with the problems of life, or when we're just out and out, down and out and tired, what's the first thing we give up? Church, thank you. First thing we give up is church. First thing you want to cut out is, I ain't going to church, I'm too tired. I worked all day, I'm not going down there. Invariably, on Wednesday nights or Sunday mornings, something happens that make you think you're crazy or make you think something's going wrong, and you think, I'm not going there. But this is the place you need to be. This is the exact place you need to be. Why do you think all that's happening? It's happening because Satan doesn't want you to come here because he knows what's going to happen when you get here. Iron sharpens iron, and you will glorify God, and you'll be strengthened. You'll be raised up. You'll be able to face the trials that are coming. I urge you, brethren, to push through. Push through the trouble. Endure the afflictions. That's what Paul told Timothy. Endure the afflictions. Push through and be blessed. You think I want to be here every single time? All the time? I get up on Sunday mornings, man, and it starts. The hammer starts to fall. Saturday night, Friday, regardless. The hammer falls. You got to push through. You got to push through and persevere and know that this is where your meat is. This is where you're fed. This is where you're strengthened. Come to people who love you, people who accept you regardless of your failures. And believe me, trust me, we all have one or two or 6,000 like your pastor. We all have failures. Trust me, when you get in among the brethren, things happen and you become recharged, you become re-energized because iron sharpens iron. Peter and John went to the companions and they told them everything that happened and all that had been said to them. They testified of how the Lord filled them with the Holy Spirit. I can see them standing there. Yeah, there we were in front of the Sanhedrin, and they were asking this one question, by what power or what name do you do these things? And I'm like, oh my gosh, what did I say? And all of a sudden I went, wow. And I started speaking, and I'm like, where did these words come from? And I'm quoting scripture. How did that happen? I can just see the excitement as they're telling these guys that what happened to them and how the scripture rolled off their mouths and how they, they applied it accurately and how the look on the Sanhedrin's face was, you guys are fishermen. How can you talk like that? He said, you should have seen it. It was great. I could just see him having this talk back and forth. Why is it so important? Why is it so important for us to share this? Because be assured, my friends, my brothers, my sisters, that God is alive. God is active in our lives every single day. He is active and he works in our lives constantly. He's constantly on the lookout for us. We sing a beautiful song at Christmas time. It was penned by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. It's his classic Christmas song. We sang it last Christmas. I heard the bells on Christmas Day. Some of you know me well enough to know what my favorite line in that song is. I'm going to tell you. It's God is not dead, nor does he sleep. God is not dead, nor does he sleep. Wadsworth wrote these pen. He penned these words on a Christmas Eve, several years after his daughter was fatally burned in an accident. He penned these words on a Christmas Eve after his son had been wounded near fatally in the Civil War. He sat before God. He was in despair. He cried out to a holy God. He cried out to his wonderful maker, and he cried out and didn't understand what was happening, and the Lord gave him two verses that this verse came from. The first verse that the Lord gave him was Jeremiah 4.2. It says, the Lord lives in truth, in judgment, and in righteousness, and the nations shall bless themselves in him, and in him they shall glory. The Lord lives. He's not dead. And I never, ever get hearing tired of, guess what? The tomb's empty. I love it. 
We bank on that. That's our whole Christian life is based on that. The second scripture that he was given is Psalm 121, 4. Behold, he that keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. God is not dead. He is alive. God is not sleeping. I am ever thankful that God doesn't sleep. I am ever thankful that when I'm asleep, he's not. When I'm asleep, cuddled up into his arms, he's at work in my life. I am ever thankful for that. He's watching over me. He's got everything planned to the next moment. He's always at work. And when we recognize this, our lives changed. Do you realize that nothing happens to you that's not sifted through the hand of God? Nothing happens to you that's not sifted through the hand of God. If you don't believe that, go back and look at Job. See how Job got his afflictions. God gave Satan the approval to do it. Nothing happens to us that's not sifted by the hand of God. He cares that much for us. He cares for his children. He is like a great and gracious father. He's active in the kids' lives. He's active in his son's lives. He's active in his daughter's lives, like a great father's supposed to be. Our God cares about us. He doesn't. He's not dead, nor does he sleep. Look at the reaction of the brethren. Peter and John and the gang walk in. In Acts 4, 24. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord. The return of the disciples excited the companions to the point of praising God for his faithfulness, and they began to pray out loud as they were in one accord. They began to pray out loud. This is true Christian joy. Have you ever been sitting around and had one of your brothers and sisters give you a praise report of what the Lord's doing? It's like, yeah, hallelujah, and you just get so fired up and so exciting, and you want to pray? Or have you ever been sitting around and one of your brothers and sisters comes in, they're having a tough time. They're struggling, but they really want the faith. And again, you, get, you start to pray, and things happen when a church prays. Things happen when a church prays together. When we pray for each other, there's power, there's joy. You're no longer alone in the, in the earth. You're not alone. You're not by yourself. I guarantee if we took a, took a uh, poll, I bet so many of us have gone through the same thing. So many of us have gone through similar things in our lives. Uh, trust me. You'd be surprised. So many of us have gone through similar things. Why? There's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun. We're all going to deal with these. We have like passions. They raise their voice to God in one accord. A couple of notes here that I have to point out. First of all, it says they raise their voice. This is singular. This is singular. They all weren't crying out at the same time. They all weren't saying this prayer together. It wasn't like a mass. Oh, yeah, they were all talking together. Someone prayed and they all agreed. We don't know who prayed, but someone prayed and they all agreed. When you are in agreement with somebody, you're one. This oneness that we have, when you say amen to a prayer, it means we agree. So you're in one there and you're of one accord. They didn't, we don't need to know who prayed because all the believers were in agreement, so they were one accord. When you say amen to a prayer, it's like you prayed the prayer. You're agreeing with that person in prayer and there's strength there and there's power there. One accord simply means they were in agreement. They were in agreement with one another. They were like-minded in Christ. There was unity among the brethren, and they rejoiced, and they were happy. Psalm 133, verse 1 says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell in unity. When you are like-minded with somebody in Christ, it is pleasant, and you move forward in this life, and things become to happen, and you look around, and you're praising God, a glorious praise. They were together in Christ. We, we are a collective body, one in Christ. We have one commonality, and that's Jesus Christ. The commonality of our lives is Jesus Christ, and we are one in him, and therefore, we have a collectiveness. 
Sadly, divisions in the church always hinder prayer, and it robs the church of spiritual power. We need to be like-minded. We need to have the mind of Christ. They prayed. They got together, and they prayed. You know what's cool? It's throughout the Bible, there are many, many different prayers of the saints. And you can do a really cool study on the prayers of the saints throughout the whole Bible. Start with the Old Testament and come all the way through. It really is filled with some wonderful, wonderful prayers. All through scriptures, you hear the hopes, the thoughts, and the cries of these saints. In fact, many Psalms, when you read them, are prayers in them of themselves. Although a lot of them are supposed to be musical or melodic, but they have a prayer when you read them. They can be prayers. Some of the worship songs we sing can be prayers. They can be prayers of your heart when you're worshiping. But the most notable prayer seen in the Bible, I'm sure you all know, we call it the Lord's Prayer. It's in Matthew 6. And as part of his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus speaks about prayer. It's basically Matthew 6, 5 through 15. We're going to read some excerpts of that when we go through the, through the rest of the message. But Jesus began something really interesting when he began the Lord's Prayer, when he, when he wanted to teach the disciples to pray. In Luke, it says the disciples actually asked him to teach us to pray. He said, when you pray, in Matthew 6, I think it's the 15, I'm not sure where it is. I had it tagged, but I, I lost it. I'm sorry. He says, in this manner, therefore pray. In this manner, therefore pray. And it's interesting that Jesus doesn't say, pray this prayer. He doesn't say, pray this prayer. Now, before you start throwing things at me, I believe that this is a wonderful prayer. I believe that the Lord's Prayer is a wonderful, wonderful, heartfelt body prayer. I believe it. I've said it myself many, many times. I've led others in the saying of the Lord's Prayer. I have no problem with that. Problem I have is Jesus said this was a model prayer. I think there's a tragic problem when people take this prayer and they use it in vain repetition. And we constantly repeat it and repeat it and repeat it and repeat it and repeat it in succession 9, 10, 15 times. Where's the meaning in that? It loses its meaning after a while. It loses its meaning because you're just saying words. If you slowly pray the prayer and you think about what you're praying, think about what it is you're saying, there's power in that prayer. There's major power in that prayer. Jesus himself even says that in Matthew 6, 7. He says, when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. In other words, if I say this enough times, it's going to stick. If I throw this at, the, at this time too many times, eventually it will stick. <laughs> Reminds me, if I drop so many Scrabble letters out of the sky, eventually they'll make a word. And it's the same kind of thing that we've been talking about that at the Truth Project. These vain repetitions, it's sad. It's sad. But just to repeat it out of memory, it just loses its meaning. It loses what it's supposed to be. There's tremendous value in this prayer. But he uses this as a model prayer. And we're going to look at this, and we're going to compare this prayer to how the apostles and the disciples prayed in Acts 4. We're going to look at that. The first thing Jesus says is he expresses the relationship that he has. He expresses a relationship. So when we pray, one of the first things we need to do is express relationship. Relationship is highly important. Your relationship to God is highly important. How you approach God is extremely important. Jesus said we're to approach him as our father. Our father. Look at the relationship here. Children, father. You're approaching the father. Thank you for joining us here today on A Sure Hope. In this series, Pastor Dave has been teaching through the book of Acts. This book follows the journeys of many disciples, but especially of the Apostle Paul. He took several missionary trips to tell others about Jesus, and he acquired many companions along the way. Wouldn't it be interesting to be a traveling missionary? 
he met many people who readily accepted the message he was bringing. In other cities, his life was threatened and he was pushed out as people didn't want to hear about the way. But being a Christian isn't meant to just be an easy road. As Paul's life displayed, you go into it knowing that there will be obstacles that you face. Is it worth it, you might ask? Of course it is. The prize that you'll be rewarded is far more precious than the things of this world. Staying true to Jesus, who gave up everything for you, is the best way you can live your life for Him. We're so glad we got to spend time with you today. A Sure Hope is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Cape May, in Cape May, New Jersey. If you're in the area, we'd love to see you on Sunday mornings. Check out AsureHopeRadio.com for service times and directions. Once again, that's AsureHopeRadio.com. And don't worry if you can't make it in person. On the website, you'll notice links to our live stream via Facebook and YouTube. All of these can be accessed through AsureHopeRadio.com. Don't forget to come back next time as Pastor Dave continues to go through the book of Acts again, right here on Assure Hope. Show.